Plot twists. We're obsessed with them. In film, life and love, they turn up everywhere. It's that moment in a story where it takes you in an unexpected direction. I'm Tom, comedy and impressions lover. And I'm Fran, super fan of reality TV and rom-coms. And we're from now. And throughout this series, we're going to be interviewing TV and film stars, asking them all about their favourite plot twists, both on and off screen. So expect the unexpected, and hopefully some behind-the-scenes gems that you've never heard before. Contain spoilers. Obviously. Season's greetings. Now, this week, you've just got me because Fran, as usual, has left her Christmas shopping to the last minute. But we do have a cracker, pun intended. I'm sorry. Uh, this week, our guests are Michael Sheen and Natalie Emanuel, who are promoting their Sky original film, Last Train to Christmas, which will arrive on now on the 18th of December. Michael Sheen and Natalie Emanuel are brilliant, brilliant actors. And I may sound like a broken record, but I love these guys. I mean, look at Michael. He's known for taking on the role of real life people. Brian Clough in The Damned United, Tony Blair in The Queen. He's been in Twilight. If you want a great series, by the way, there's Prodigal Son, series one and two out on now. And maybe even something lighthearted. There's something about movies. You could watch that with him and Alan Carr. A lot of fun. And then Natalie Emanuel. Miss Sande in Game of Thrones. Oh my goodness, that was a brutal ending. And I'm not going to talk about it because it gets me emotional, but she did play a brilliant, brilliant character. And even before that, who remembers Sasha Valentine in Hollyoaks? And that sort of paved the way for her career where she's now in like Fast and Furious, those franchises, seven, eight and nine, some of the biggest films out there. It's incredible. So where next could they go? Well, a Christmas movie, obviously, and a fun one. Last Train to Christmas, their new film. It's a different kind of Christmas film. It follows the story of Tony Towers, an outlandish nightclub owner, a bit of a local celebrity. And he arrives on pretty much the last train to Christmas with his love interest, Sue, played by Natalie. And what does he do? He wants champagne. He wants it for the whole carriage. So he goes forward into the next carriage, but realizes that he's 10 years into the future and then starts to get a grasp that he moves forwards and backwards on the train. He ultimately moves forwards and backwards in his own life. But look, like any time travel movie, if you go back into the past and you change the decisions that you previously made, I'm just going to say your future might look a little bit different. The whole film follows that whole process. It's fun. There's great costumes. There's a whole bunch of styles that you're going to see, particularly with Michael. And it's very thought provoking. So I'm looking forward to chatting about this because, you know, we talk about sliding door moments all the time. So let's hear from the stars themselves. Here is Michael Sheen and Natalie Emanuel on Plot Twist. Look, thank you both so much for, for coming on. I'm a big fan of both of you. And I want to extend that thank you to you, Michael, because I made a little bet with my producer earlier and I said you wouldn't have the beard. I said, I think it'll be gone. <laughs> I think it will be, you know, post-prodigal son, you know, refreshed look. And he said, no, no, it will still be there. And indeed, you're clean shaven. So Yeah, I mean, Christmas time is always a big time for beards, obviously. It is. But unfortunately, the beard had to go. I mean, I could have been in full Santa mode by now <laughs> if I hadn't had to shave my beard off. But it came off for last train to Christmas when we shot that because we didn't film it that long ago. It was this summer. So I had to shave it off for that. And now I'm doing good omens here in Scotland. So um, I'm an angel with a clean face. There we go. There we go. Are, are you excited for Christmas, Natalie? Are you, are you um, feeling like in the festive mood? Are we... Well, to be honest, like I'm one of these people that's like Christmas is December, like a little bit, you know, I'm like, yes. I, I don't, I'm not, 
when I see people's like Christmas decorations up in November, I'm a bit like, mm, what are you doing? But, bar humbug. Is bar humbug a phrase you use a lot? Uh, <laughs> actually, yes. No, um, but sincerely, like, I am so excited for Christmas. Christmas is always a time where I go home. Like, I spend so much of the year away. And so going home and connecting with family and my loved ones is just, it's such an important time of year. Last year for everybody was a bit strange and at times a little sad because you couldn't be with people you cared about. So at the moment, it's okay for us to be together, you know, and so we have a whole kind of family Christmas planned where basically I think there's about 20 something of us descending on a house that we've rented. (laughs) (laughs) Who's cooking? Who's going to do the cooking? Well, because I've been eating a vegan diet for many years and there's about, I'm going to say there's about four or five of us that eat vegetarian or vegan. So I usually do the cooking for the vegans, but everybody kind of contributes. And I'm not sure who's cooking for the, for the other people who eat other things, you know, (laughs) They can sort themselves out. It's fine. It's yeah, fine. it's not my responsibility. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> they can go hunting in the woods for what they're going to eat. Whatever, <laughs> whatever like floats about. Yeah. So I do feel <laughs> like with the Christmas ads this year, we went we went a bit early. You know, it was like early November. I was like, that is, you can say bar humbug, Michael, but that was quite early. I'd start in August, Tom, if I could. Oh, I mean, it would be one long. I'm, I, in the words of the song, I wish it could be Christmas every day. <laughs> Isn't the Christmas a little bit stressful, though? Just a little bit. There's a lot to organise. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of people to manage. Think, yes, you know. But it is, as we know, the most wonderful time of the year. I, all I'm going to do on this interview is just <laughs> yeah. say names of Christmas songs. That's, I'm going to see if I can answer every question with the name of a song. If, if you get 10 and you've done well. It wouldn't be that wonderful if it happened every day. That's the whole point, is that it's so special because it's one time of the year. Natalie, you've just got to step into Christmas. <laughs> you've got to... All right, I promise I'll stop. Is, is, is it a bit weird, though, when you do a Christmas movie like this in, like, say you do it in the summer, and then, it's like, you know, four or five months later, you're then talking about it again? Is it a bit of a juxtaposition? Well, we filmed it in a studio in Wales. You know, it's all set on a train. And so they had to lay train track through the studio. They had to knock a wall down to to be able to get the train carriages into the studio to then film on them. And we were surrounded by these LED screens that were doing the kind of journey outside, obviously. And so, I mean, literally, it could have been any time of the year outside. It was Christmas (laughs) inside that studio, but outside it could have been anything. But it was the first Christmas film I've ever done. And I've always wanted to do one. So I was just very excited to have Christmas in August. It was my dream come true. (laughs) I watched the film and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And we will come on to that in more detail because it it does pose a lot of questions, actually. It's not your typical Christmas movie, which I really liked. But we are called Plot Twist. And I thought maybe I could start there and maybe start with you, Nathalie. In your own life, in your own career, if there was a plot twist, you know, the notion of the unexpected, what would be your ultimate plot twist? Oh, that's a really good question. I don't know that I'm like still an actor. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's such a, um, obviously it's such a crazy business we're in. So every time I get the opportunity to work and like do something fantastic or fun or work with lovely people, I'm like, okay, it's still happening. That's great. Yeah, I guess I never really thought that I'd have like a whole career I, I remember of, of being an actor like I remember doing acting and performing as like a fun hobby 
And then the idea that someone was like, oh, and now we're going to like, we're going to pay you to do this. Like is such a amazing plot twist. Just off every day. I'm just sort of like, wow, this is cool. <laughs> and unexpected. When you were starting out and it was, it was more of a hobby. Did you dream big? Did you think about these sort of, I mean, you've done some enormous film franchises. Of course, there's that certain series you've been on, you know, did you dream big? Did you think about those sort of things or was it just did, love for the game? I de It definitely was just at first about the love of it. And I think when I was, growing up and I sort of started out quite young and I was always told like it's not a guarantee it's such an un, you know unpredictable business you know you need your plan b and I remember when I kind of left school to become a full-time actor like uh, I was not particularly encouraged to do so by my teachers because it's so you know it's a very tough industry and and they I guess they were right to warn me in that respect but I always just had this idea that it could go away at any time and you know the industry changes all the time like and there might not always be a space for me and if there was at all so the fact that any of the amazing opportunities I've had have happened is really just a surprise and obviously like hard work and perseverance and all of those things but it, it is always kind of slightly a like wow this happened and this is amazing so for me every time <laughs> it must have been pretty special where I mean, you were a fan of Game of Thrones, for example, and then you're then you're cast in that series, then oh, joined yeah. that as a fan. That must have been just so special. It was so special, and but it was quite funny. Like I, I remember when I got the phone call, and then um, I had my sort of reaction, very excited and cried a bit because um, I'd be, I was very out of work then, by the way, and um, so I was like, oh my god, <laughs> yeah, this is the dream. And then I, the, then the sort of daunting like oh now I've got to do it what if I ruin my favorite show ah like I basically then like had the sort of like oh gosh now I've actually got to do it which was very funny well you, you certainly didn't ruin it that's for sure uh, you were brilliant <laughs> Michael what about you I mean there's so many amazing performances I, I loved you in like the damned united and all these films earlier on in your career do you have a stand-up plot twist well I mean I've been alive long enough to have had a lot of plot twists now. So I was just thinking about, well, what was the first major one? And I suppose the first big plot twist was when I was 12. So I was obsessed with playing football. I was very, very good at playing football at 12. And my family went on holiday to Pontins on the Isle of Wight holiday camp. And through a bizarre, almost like it was in a film, series of sort of coincidences, I ended up being offered, that, also on holiday at that Pontins was um, a very young Tony Adams, ex-Arsenal and England captain, and his father, who was uh, one of the scouts for Arsenal. And I ended up being offered a place on the Arsenal youth team as a result of that. And so I, at that point, I was, that was my dream. I mean, that was everything, you know, that I wanted. But it would have meant going to live in London when I was 12 and my family couldn't do that. So that was the first big plot twist. I mean, I could have gone, I'm not saying I would have ended up being a professional football player, but I would have gone down a very different life journey if I had gone that way. But I didn't. And at the time, I was kind of gutted that I didn't. But within, probably within a year or so, I was starting to get into acting more. So that was very much a, a divergence of paths there. That's a very sliding doors moment. So that was the first big plot twist for me, just getting into acting and stuff. And then I suppose later on down the road, I was living in Los Angeles because my daughter 
uh, was growing up there. And so I was sort of living there to be with her. And therefore, you know, I'd started having a, you know, pretty good career, acting career. I'd, I'd done very well in theater. I was starting to do a bit of TV and film, not much, but a little bit. And then when I was in, in America, I sort of had to start again. I mean, nothing I'd done in the theater really meant anything to anyone over there. And, and, and you know, the sort of stuff I'd, I'd done on TV and film didn't really, you know, mean much. So it was sort of like starting again. And I, I started to feel like, oh my God, I'm, I think, you know, I'm, my career might be kind of, you know, not over, but, you know, it's very different. And I'm, I'm maybe missing out on a lot of the things that I could have been able to do had life been a bit different. And then I came back to Britain uh, for a couple of weeks for something. And um, I ended up going to see a play. And whilst I was at the theater watching this play, there was also a casting director at this theater watching the same play. And she came up to me in the interval and she said, um, uh, she works with Stephen Frears, her name's uh, Leo. And she has worked with Stephen Frears, the director for years and years. And she said to me, Stephen's making a love story about Tony Blair and Gordon Brown, and you should play Tony Blair in it. And I was like, all right, you know, it sounded a bit weird to me. I thought, what the hell is that project? And anyway, as a result of that, Stephen cast me as Tony Blair. And that was the first real person I'd played really, you know, mm. and it, it was the first time I worked with Peter Morgan, who wrote that particular piece, which was called The Deal, and who then went on, I went on to work with on a whole number of things, including Frost Nixon and The Damned United. And, but I suppose that moment, you know, that, that led to me eventually playing Tony Blair in The Queen, and that opened up a lot of doors for me in America and, and in Britain, yeah. But The Queen, the film The Queen, you know, obviously got nominated for an Oscar, and, and, and it was a big deal, and, and kind of really kick-started my career on film in America as well. So that was a big, you know, if I hadn't gone to that play that night, or, you know, who knows? So that was a big twist. That started a whole other chapter of my life and career that could have gone differently again you know who knows so so that that's those are two of the big plot twists for me i think well you're known for sort of immersing yourself into these real life characters and i certainly don't want to offend you by saying you know that impersonation it's so much more than just an impersonation but was that something that you had a skill for anyway was that something that you were known for no i i was not the kid in school who did impersonations of teachers or other kids i absolutely not i had never in fact, I used to love watching impersonators on, on TV, yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. Mike Yarwood when I was growing up and, yeah. and, and, the, and what you don't see anymore, I realise, there used to be people who used to do singing impersonations a lot more, I feel like, on TV. Joe Longthorne and people like that, you know, and I used to love that. It was like, it was like watching magic for me. It was, it was extraordinary. And um, I had such uh, admiration and enjoyment of that, partly because I couldn't do it. Like, I, I had no facility for it. And then, um, so it is sort of incredibly ironic that I ended up sort of becoming known for playing real people. But I, I, it's just work. I just have to focus on it for a very long time and, and immerse myself in the world of that person and the life of that person. And, and if I, you know, work hard enough that I can get fairly close. Another thing that helped was my older daughter, Lily, when she was younger, um, she would want me to be the characters from films that she was watching, Disney films or Pixar films or whatever, you know. And because she was non-judgmental 
about it and there was no one else <laughs> listening, I would just have a go at being like the characters. And eventually I started to realize, oh, I'm quite good at doing the voices of Billy Crystal in Monsters, Inc. or whatever. <laughs> and so that gave me a little bit more confidence, funnily enough, about when it did come up, when someone did ask me to play a real person. I thought, well, you know, I can have a go. And then I realized it's just about the work. You just put the work in. And, and as you say, you know, it, it, an impersonation of someone is, is a very different skill. I mean, that's a, it's a very different kind of thing. To, to playing the character in a in a story, you know, you don't you don't want the audience to be thinking about the externals of what you're doing mm. as much. I mean, obviously that's a part of it because you're playing a real person who's familiar, but you don't want the audience to stay on the outside. You want them to be on the inside of that character. You want them to to be aware of what's going on for them emotionally and psychologically, and go on the journey with them like you would any other character. So that is the challenge I found with playing real people is that you have to meet the expectations some way because the audience are like, right, well. Let's see how much like Brian Cluffy is or whatever. You, you do have to deal with that. But at the same time, you have to deal with it in such a way that gets the audience past that very quickly yes. and get on the inside with you and go on the journey. And that's always the challenge, I think, for, for me at least. Is there, just before we talk about Last Train's Christmas, is there a particular character that you've played that you've enjoyed the most? Well, I suppose Brian Clough in that it combined the two worlds for me, the world of football yeah. that I was, you know, maybe, you know, that divergent path. When I played Clough, I got to bring those paths together for a short period of time. And so that's always been very special. So those shots on the training ground, we hit it in the top corner. That wasn't an extra. That was you. Exactly. That was me. <laughs> I finally got to show what I could do. <laughs> oh, I love it. Let's talk about your new film then, Last Train to Christmas. I mean, I'd encourage anyone to go on Natalie's Instagram and just see the picture, the promo <laughs> shot that was released, because I think it tells you a lot about what you can expect. The long blonde hair is sensational, Michael. So, Thank um, you. You're playing uh, a nightclub owner, local celebrity, bit of a bravado, braggadocio character called Tony Towers. And find yourself on the train. Is it Christmas Eve that you're on? Christmas the Eve, the uh, three... 15 train to Nottingham, to Nottingham from King's Cross on Christmas Eve. But where he's got this sort of outlandish character, he goes into the next carriage, but finds himself transported 10, 15 years into the future. And ultimately, each carriage represents a different phase. And But if he goes back in time, ultimately, he could actually change his present day or, and, and indeed his future. It's, it's quite thought-provoking. It really got me uh, that whole sort of time travel aspect. It does get you thinking. What was it like to get into that character? And I mean, he's got that sort of maybe a sort of Peter Stringfellow, Clinton Baptiste sort of look and feel. Yeah. Well, like you say, I mean, the idea of it, it's such a brilliant, simple idea in a way that, you're, you know, you're on a train, you move forward a carriage, you move forward 10 years in your life, you move back a carriage, you move back 10 years in your life. And I, when I first read the script, I thought, this is such a great idea. Surely someone's done this before. And, you know, nobody had. Like, all the great ideas, they seem very simple, but and you can't understand why no one's thought of it before. And to take this character... Tony Towers, who's such a larger-than-life character. He's so colourful. He's not someone who's spent a lot of time thinking about the choices he's made. You know, he's very in the moment and very living life to the full in the moment and regardless of the consequences. So he's sort of, in a way, the perfect character to go on this journey with, you know, and to, to start to unwrap all the different layers and to make him look at, at the choices he's made. But, of course, the challenge he has is, is he going to change things? Will he change things that he's done in the past that haven't worked out well? And how does that have consequences that maybe he didn't intend them to have? And you realize the chaos of what happens 
when you're in that time travel situation. I don't know if you've been in a time travel situation yourself, Tom, but I think people who have discover that if you change things, they don't always go the way that you expect them to change. And so uh, that's the position that Tony finds himself in, which of course allows him to travel through lots of decades and see lots of very, very bold fashion choices that he's made along the way. There's quite a few. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Natalie, it's also quite traumatic, isn't it? Because those choices could have such a profound effect in terms of relationships. And your character, Sue, they're actually, you know, they're very much, they're closer in love, but then suddenly it goes back to a previous 10 years and he could change everything. Well, I, I think it, well, it does. It absolutely does. But then really the choices that he's made affect the future or affect how Sue knows him. And if, you know, they don't, it changes, completely changes their relationship. But then ultimately in the moment when he's confronted, when Tony's confronted with Sue again, it really is about his choices and what he does in that moment essentially will impact him and her life. So like it just changes the course of their lives, which is, whether it's a good or a bad thing is I guess it's up to the audience to decide as well so but it's it's quite sad really as well because no you know I think that Sue genuinely loves and cares about Tony she really does believe in him and wants to support his dreams and everything and I think as Michael said before like you definitely put these two characters into a box when you first meet them and you might think, oh, we know what this dynamic's about. We know what this is. And actually it's it's not that. And so when he kind of comes back and meets her again, the love and affection that they have for one another in this kind of previous version of their lives is it kind of manifests in a different way and in Tony's choices in that moment, which is really quite sweet. Yeah. <laughs> I think the, the film in a way, or any film I suppose about, that has this kind of time travel aspect to it, it sort of reflects something that I've come to think about more and more in life generally, which is, you know, th the difference between something happening and not happening seems so slim. You know, you think about the randomness of life, the randomness of meeting certain people or bumping it, you know, starting relationships with people. That If you hadn't been in that place at that time, you know, and you hadn't met that person or if you hadn't, it's, it seems like chaos to me. It can be quite scary when you think about it and go, my life could have been completely different. Is it random or is there a pattern to it? You know, is there some underlying thing that says, you know, oh no, it would have happened anyway if it hadn't happened in that way. If you hadn't been at that place, then there's some kind of magnetic force that brings you together with someone or brings you to a certain event or a certain moment. It's very, it, it's, it's tantalizing obviously to think about those things because we only live the one path ultimately. Yeah. It's, like, it's like you said with the Arsenal example. Yeah, and it, you, you get to see, he gets the opportunity to live more than one life, to make choices again. And you look at the kind of chaos that can come out of that. You know, I told you that I met one of my best friends on a train that train, mm. I nearly missed that train. And I literally like ran on at the last minute and was like, and then I said to this guy, I was like, can I sit here? And he was like, yeah. And then this guy became one of my best friends and we've been friends wow. for like 15 years or something. So, you know, like if I'd have missed that train, I may not have ever mm. met my one of my dearest friends. But then, exactly. And then maybe if it was meant to happen for people who believe that things are meant to happen, then maybe if you hadn't got that train, you would have bumped into him Another you know, the time. next day somewhere else. Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. who, knows? who knows? Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Do you believe in that? Do you believe in fate and those things are meant to happen? 
I don't know, part of me believes that in certain ways, certain things, maybe sort of big benchmark moments, you make certain things inevitable through the choices you make in your life. So there's a combination of maybe some kind of underlying pattern going on that we, whether it's our unconscious minds or some bigger force, whatever it is, that is has a hand in things, but also the choices we make along the way make certain things more likely or even inevitable to happen as well. I think there's a lot of, you know, randomness that we're going through in all our life, but big, big benchmark moments, I think, has, uh, there's a bit more at work there. I often think that, like, we might have an idea of the things that should happen or will happen for us, and then life has this strange way of going, this might be what you think, but actually, it's kind of not quite that thing. It's it's connected to that thing, but it's so slightly different. And so, yeah, I think, I think I like to believe in the fate of things. Absolutely. I think it's a nice idea. It's like hopeful, it's positive. And I think there's, it's a nice thing to think about, but I also think that every single thing that happens in our lives just slightly sends us on a different path. And so there's no way of really knowing what life is going to throw at you and what you're going to experience but I'm a true believer in sort of like embracing the moment but also allowing the freedom to sort of wonder and not know and like just embracing things as they come and kind of living in the moment as opposed to sort of thinking too hard about what's happening down the road because I think if you try to control it too much it might you know you're sort of living you're not living for now which yeah yeah I get that I think if you've got a hopeful mindset, it's a nice thought process, isn't it? That this path will form itself and it gives you optimism. But ultimately, you've still got to, you've still got to drive it. You've still got to, you know, drive those actions. Um, when I was younger, I started getting, started reading about like quantum physics. I was never much of a chemistry <laughs> physics guy when I was in school. And there started to be these books about sort of, you know, popular science books trying to make physics accessible and stuff. And I started reading about quantum physics and I got very excited about that because that seemed to, you know, certain things about that made sense to me and, and seemed to be more coming up with the answers that I had instinctively kind of thought coming from a different point of view, coming from the arts and all that kind of stuff. And, and it seemed to be the bridge for that. But the thing that I came away with, with the quantum physics stuff was that the true nature of life and the universe and everything is possibility that it's all about potential and that the idea that things are set as one actual thing is actually quite an illusion for us, that the real stuff of life is possibility and potential. And I like that. I think that's a very positive thing, that no matter how much we think things are set and unchangeable, there is always the potential for change because that is the true nature of life. Let's say we're the three of us on a train doing this interview. We're on the 317 uh, to Nottingham, you know, the three of us. <laughs> If you could go into the next carriage and you could have a little look at the future, but then you can come back as Tony Towers does at the beginning of the film you know, to the present day, would you go there? It would. I mean, if you knew that could happen, it would be overwhelmingly tempting, isn't it? tempting to do it, wouldn't yeah. it? But I, I would really rather not. I mean, one of the great things about being alive is, is possibility and hope and what could happen. If you knew what was going to happen... You know, even though that's sort of contradicting what I just said, that the true nature of life is 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 possibility. But 
it is possibility is it's the unknown looking ahead and thinking oh what might happen today and that you know even though things look this way maybe it'll change maybe there's the chance of this if you know what ultimately what the result's going to be i mean i think it takes away what makes life worth living in lots of ways you know so i i would try to resist it i think yeah as much as i possibly could me too i've always been so funny because you know how like people there's a practice of like using mediums and people that tell fortune and like I've never had the desire to really have someone tell me what's going to happen to me. I don't like being kind of like have ideas in my head that then might change what my choices will be or like be influenced by it. Even that to me, I find slightly like I'm a bit nervous of mostly because I've, mm. I tend to be somebody who kind of lives in that kind of ebb and flow of life. Like while I obviously there are things that one can control about their day to day life and existence, I tend to try and be kind of move in the flow of things and embrace the things that come and or not like, you know, and whatever, but like I ultimately making choices in the moment for me, but like, yeah, the idea of like looking in and like the next carriage and having all of the sort of excite, like, like discovering what life is, is exciting. And I sort of feel like it would, if you know, it's like someone telling you the end of the movie before you've watched it, you're like, well, thanks yeah, exactly. for that. That's kind of how I feel yeah. about it. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah. Can we, uh, Nathalie, can we just talk? I've obviously been swooning over Mike on his talents as, as an actor, but as naturally, a singer, naturally. how are we rating him? Because uh, well, uh, Tony, I have Tony's feeling, not really a great singer. I have a feeling that <laughs> Michael was like not singing to his full potential as Tony. <laughs> Tony is decidedly not a great singer you know that was absolutely a choice from Michael but yeah you know Tony I always was told that anybody can sing if you can speak you can sing and so going back to this message of potential of life you know there is no reason that Tony with some lessons couldn't be a wonderful singer yeah I mean in the film (laughs) when I do sing I mean, it's obviously it's it's a it's a plot thing that he's not a very good singer. That I yes, so I had yes. to do that, but also in the scene when I sing to Natalie to Sue, he's playing up on that and he's singing yes. in a particular way to kind of try and make a laugh. Yeah. In real life, I mean, you should hear my version of when Santa got stuck up the chimney <laughs> that I am that I am currently singing about. 300 times a day at the moment to my daughter. I can hold a tune is what I like to think. No, I thought I thought that might be the case. Well, look, the film comes out, is it 18th of December on Sky Cinema and, mm-hmm. and now? So, yeah, I enc- very much encourage everyone to watch that. A great Christmas film and, and, and thought-provoking at the same time. It's a good mix. Can I ask you about plot twist people? So somebody that has influenced your career that's somebody behind the scenes. There's always that person that can be that sort of act of encouragement that can sort of propel you into that, what's that certain position. Nathalie, is there somebody behind the scenes that's been a sort of a, a plot twist person? I mean, you mentioned your best friend on the train. <laughs> but is there other people that have? Yeah, uh, yes, absolutely. I mean, this I, the one person that I can really think of is my mum. There was a moment where I was saying before that when I got cast in Game of Thrones, I was very, very much out of work. I was working in retail. And I'm just, you know, just trying to pay the bills or whatever. And um, I had wow. like a small amount of money that I like had left, like literally to my name. And I like I did the math and I'm like, this is maybe like a few months of my rent 
and uh, like and bills and you know being able to like travel a bit for auditions but really I had just very little kind of savings left and I sort of yeah like it was tough times but I was being very like careful and resourceful like you know very economic with my with my money and my mum went yeah you should go to LA and I was like mum no I I have no (laughs) she's like don't worry about that you need to go to LA how long can you go with that money how long can you go for and I was like, oh, I don't know, uh, maybe a few weeks, a month, a couple of weeks, a month, maybe. I don't know. And she was like, yeah, no, you should do that. I was like, mom, I have to bills to pay. I can't. She was like, don't worry about that. Don't worry about it. You need to go. So that's, yeah, that's what I did. And it was a real like plot twist for my life in a way, because <laughs> I just had suddenly was meeting people that actually then kind of created opportunities I ended up doing I ended up filming you know and having getting jobs through and so in the states which was crazy and um and it was before Game of Thrones had actually aired so this was before like my character was even a part of that world and uh I yeah so my mum like she completely was just like you know don't worry about it even though like she it's not like my mum has loads of money to be like, I'll cover your bills. So it was just like, I think that this is what you need to spend this money on and we'll just deal with the consequences of of that (laughs) another time. Mum's no best. Mum's no best. They really do. So I'm so grateful to her because I was being the like sensible one and she was like, no, it's fine, just go. And I was like, "Uh, okay, there we go. And just before we wrap up, what about you, Michael? There's a man called Godfrey Evans who comes from the same area that I come from in in Wales. And he went off to London to train as a drama teacher at Central School of of Speech and Drama. And then when he left there, qualified to teach drama, he could have gone off and done it. He could have become a director, a theatre director himself. He could have done anything, but he came back to the same area, his home area. And there was a flagship comprehensive school called Sandfields Comprehensive School that was built on the Sandfields council estate in Patelbert, essentially to house the families of the workers who worked in the steelworks in in our town, Patelbert, which was the kind of the big thing in our area. And so he came back and he he taught at that comprehensive school. And uh, in a very unlikely way, I suppose, you know, a steel town on a a, a school Mm. on a council estate in a steel town, he started to develop an incredibly progressive kind of arts infrastructure from that school that eventually spread throughout the whole county. And he eventually became the county advisor in dance and drama. And he started a local, a county youth theater, a county dance company, a county, all kinds of things. I eventually became a product of the youth theater. Catherine Zeta-Jones was a product of the dance company. Russell T. Davis came from my youth theater. This man changed the lives, not just of people who went into the profession, but also anyone who went through any of those organizations, you know, particularly the youth theater, people who didn't go into the profession, but just, you know, went off and did whatever they did. Everyone was changed by that experience. It was an extraordinary experience. But, you know, for me personally, that man and what he created in our area, and like I say, very unlikely to have that kind of arts youth infrastructure in that kind of area, you know, not what you would expect in that area. But that man changed my life entirely. I mean, I owe him, I owe many people 
you know, I've come to realize this as I've got older. I owe many, many people what has happened in my life and, and the opportunities I've had. Um, you know, my parents, obviously, all kinds of people. But that man, if he hadn't done what he did, I would not have become an actor. I would not have had the career that I had. I would not have a lot of the values that I have and the kind of ambitions and aspirations that I have and the people that I've met and, be, and were friendly with. He absolutely changed my life as well as, like I say, the lives of literally generations of young people who came from that area. So I have a lot to thank him for. Oh, that's amazing. That is amazing. We're very grateful to him and I'm grateful to you both for coming on the podcast. It's been great to chat. Good luck with the film. Comes on the 18th of December, last train to Christmas. And I uh, hope you both have an amazing Christmas and New Year. Thank you, thank you, you too. Oh, big thank you to Natalie Emmanuel and Michael Sheen. I love that. Do you know what? Any chat about time travel and the whole concept of the decisions that you made in your life, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. And it does link to this podcast because we're always talking about sliding door moments. I mean, take Natalie's example where, you know, she just makes that train and then she ends up meeting her, one of her best friends from the last 15 years. Or I could have been speaking to Michael Sheen, the football legend, if he'd moved to London, if they'd made that decision. You know, perhaps that could have happened. It's possible, right? Super, super interesting. And of course, we spoke about their film, Last Train to Christmas. But you know what? I just want to give a bit of a shout out. From watching the film again, I'm going to give a shout out to the costume and props department because what they did to Michael Sheen in that film to change his appearance over the years was <laughs> nothing short of brilliant. So Last Train to Christmas, Sky original film, will arrive on now from the 18th of December. Go and check it out. It's a really interesting, thought-provoking, fun film. Now, we spoke to Michael and Natalie in mid-November time. And then afterwards, Michael has actually come out and said these are not-for-profit actor. So essentially, all the profits from his future projects will go towards charitable causes close to his heart. Uh, and to give you an idea of just how committed he has been to this process, two years ago, he actually sold houses to fund the Homeless World Cup, which was taking place in Cardiff, which I just thought was extraordinary. I wanted to call that out. Just an extraordinary level of commitment. I would have loved to have chatted to him about that, but I just wanted to sort of bring that to light because I thought that was super interesting. So go and read about that. And just a big thank you again to Michael Sheen and Natalie Emmanuel for a great chat. Thoroughly enjoyed that. We'll be taking a break next week. But we will be returning with a certain Jamie Dornan and his co-star in The Taurus, Shalom Bryn Franklin, for an interesting chat. Looking forward to that. But in the meantime, hope everyone has a brilliant Christmas, a safe Christmas, and we'll see you soon. Ciao.